the single most important telling sign was the very first time I knocked on her door and her dog came to the door and didn't bark, which sounds silly, but she barks at every stranger and everything, and uh, she did not bark. So that was the first (laughs) and most important sign that I was the right one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The Lord works when we move, when we make a step in in a direction, you know, and, you know, keep praying, keep listening to your heart. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today's episode is just made up of Catholic dating stories, dating fails, and dating successes. I'll go back and forth. Most of the stories come from USCCB employees, but some are from outside because they were just too good not to get on tape. We'll start and end on a good note. So here are Tom and Mary McCluskey. I'm Mary McCluskey. And I'm Tom McCluskey. And we have been married for just over 10 years. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Mary and Tom met at a mutual friends going away party. I was uh, in my late 30s. And uh, I was kind of at the point in my life where I was thinking maybe marriage isn't my vocation. And I wasn't happy about that, but I was trying to accept it. And one way of accepting it, I went to this party for this mutual friend of ours who was going away. And I was dressed in a horrific Hawaiian shirt because I was just like, oh, I'm just going to stop by the party for a second and that'll be it. Um, It It was an ugly shirt. And it was ugly Hawaiian print. And the host of the party had also asked, because as a good guest, I asked, what could I bring? And he said, like, well, if you have any liquor. So I came in also carrying two bottles of liquor and a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) And I was a little early, as was my um, unknown at the time future wife. And we ended up talking for the rest of the night. As the party wound down, Mary started eyeing the exit. Towards the end of the night, it was getting rather late. And she... uh, Got up to leave, and I to everybody else around the table, I can admit this now, I lied and said I was going to use the men's room. And I ran to the door and uh, said, hey, I really like talking to you, and I was wondering if uh, you would like to get dinner in the next couple of weeks. And she said yes, and she asked me for a piece of paper. She asked me for my um, if I had my number or, or card. And I was just like, I'm at a party. Why would I have a card? And, and then she went on to tell say how great that is because – guys in dc they say to you here's my card give me a call sometimes and i hate that and i'm like well do you have a piece of paper i can write on she looks in her wallet or her purse and all she could find was her business card the only piece of paper empty like and on the other side of course there was print but on the black side it was blank so it's the only thing i had (laughs) and that was the beginning i asked them about signals i remember when tom walked into the room um, I remember, I don't remember what he said, but there was something, he made some joke and it was funny. And it was funny in a way that like, wasn't mean or sarcastic or whatever, but there was something in me that recognized, it almost felt like there was something in me that recognized something in him. And he was different from other guys that I had met or dated. It was almost like my, my soul went, huh, there's more there. I want to find out more about that guy. So I had kind of like, you know, at one point the chair was empty next to him. And so I went over and sat next to him and just sort of waited to see what would happen. And we just started casually talking about who we are and our families or whatever. And so, I mean, I think I was 
you know, interested and he probably picked up on it, but it certainly did take courage because, yeah. Because I was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> exactly. How sure was Tom that he'd get an affirmative response to a date? Could you tell that I was, like, enjoying talking to you that night? Well, yeah, because you kept on talking to me. Um, and you... Yeah, but I don't remember thinking, like, I got to snag this one. Woo! You know? I just remember thinking, like, yeah, he's interesting. I want to learn more about him. Tom explained why he acted right away in pursuing Mary. You said you normally... You didn't want to risk not seeing me again. So you knew you had to ask immediately that night for my number. Because... You didn't want to risk not seeing me again. Whereas in the past, you'd said, you know, oh, you know, maybe I'll see her again. I'm not going to get her number. And, you know, so. And, anyway, and that's that sweet. Well, that's the typical attitude, I think, of uh, too many men dating nowadays. Um, so, I mean, God kicks me in the butt to do that, I think. But, I mean, most of the single men I think we know around my age have the attitude of, well, we'll see if, it, if it's supposed to be then it'll happen instead of working any way towards to making it happen. One thing that made this relationship different was prayer. So I would call her every morning and we would pray. And this I was would... Tom's idea. I know. Which act told... so well, no, it just you know, sounded like, like my family. It just, it just sort of blew me away, and I was like, "Whoa!" I just fell a little bit more in love with him. Wow! Like it just, just because like in our relationship, I had been up to that point, like more of like the spiritual leader, or I had been the one at least more apparently openly dedicated to my faith, and this was Tom's suggestion, and it was really beautiful uh, thing to do, and just a way to connect. I think we started that after, was it after we got engaged? No. It was before. Oh, before yeah. we got engaged. Oh, when you were really trying to score some points with me, I guess. <laughs> yes, because that's all that dating is about, is scoring those points. And... Points in heaven, the points with God, points with the Holy Spirit. And would you believe Tom has held on to that business card for all these years? And on our, it might have been our fifth wedding anniversary or sixth wedding anniversary, I got one of those shadow boxes and got a picture of us. I cut up the Hawaiian shirt and had that as the background and then put the, because I carried that business card around with me for the rest of our, I mean, for the next six, seven years as we were dating and then married, mm -hmm. but it was getting a little frayed. So I put it in that shadow box and now it sits in our living room. Sweet story, right? Let's review. They met in person. One of them had the courage to ask the other out. They kept it real, and they made sure to stay connected to God. Those are pretty good tips. So here's dating fail story number one from a friend that we'll call Angela. She met a man about her age, late 20s at the time, at a bar on Valentine's Day. Clearly, they were both single. He asked her out. I mean, he was a good conversationalist. I remember we just had a really easygoing, fun date. Like he, you know, it was dinner. It wasn't just drink or whatever. And and it felt like very fun and easygoing, but also like there could be. He didn't try to kiss me even, nothing like at the end, but it didn't feel like there was no potential there, connection, you know, or chemistry or whatever. It just felt like that wasn't the time for it. So I felt like, oh, I'll go out with him again. I don't have any ideas about the future, but I'll go out with him again. After the date, Angela was packing for a trip out of town and she texted her date to say that she had a good time. He, I saw a text that said, can I ask you something that's more personal? 
And I remember I texted back, it depends on what it is. Like, I'm not going to commit to answering anything that's personal when I've just met you once and we're texting. Are alarm bells going off in your head right now, female listeners? I bet they are. So then he just texted, are you... <laughs> Say it again. Sorry. Don't put the laughing. I mean, it is funny. Are you a virgin waiting for marriage? Question mark. So I remember just like staring at the text and texting one of my friends, like, what do I do about this? And just being very shocked um, because it was not in the context. We were not talking about anything deep, certainly not values or nothing about that. And then I didn't respond for a few minutes. And then he texted a follow-up. I asked because, on the, I remember the exact wording, I've had a series of odd luck lately when several of the last girls I've gone on dates with have been versions waiting for marriage. Um... So I did not feel the need or desire to respond to that. So I just let the text go. But it was really surprising because it seemed like a second date could definitely be in order. And he seemed, we were interested in just getting to know each other as people and having a good time. And it was lighthearted and it didn't seem, you know, that there was any need to go there on the first date. But it did and that was that. And we never texted again. After one dinner with another human being, you have absolutely no right to the answer to that question, no matter what the answer is. No right whatsoever. What does one answer? Even if I wasn't in that situation, even if I would have sex with someone on the second, fifth, I mean, fifth date, like, that's a weird thing to just say over, like, what is even one answer to that? That's just so weird all around. Do girls just regularly answer those texts, you know? I hope not. Ladies, do not answer that question. Now, a good story. Uh, my name is Emily Risley, and I'm the Public Affairs Associate for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Emily got engaged recently, and she knew that this relationship was different. When I was dating, I could really always tell in the back of my head whether or not I acknowledged it, if I was honest with myself, whether this was the right person for me. So... I know that there were times in my past relationships where I felt like I was pushing down God's voice, sort of saying like, no, this is me time. I want to do this right now. You know, I wouldn't have a very fulfilling prayer life. I wouldn't be, you know, really listening. Um, when I met Tyler, when we started getting to know each other, I never felt the hand of God so clearly in my life from like day one. And that's what gave me that sort of sense of, like, overwhelming peace that I had never felt before in my past dating relationships. I would, there was always an anxiety within me that was not being fulfilled. And then when I, when I started dating Tyler, all of this peace, and I really felt God leading us more than I had ever felt in any aspect of my life. <laughs> There's one moment in particular that stood out to her. This was even before we were dating and we were just friends, getting to know each other, which is a real blessing, I think. If people can get to know somebody really well before they start dating, it really is a beautiful beginning. And I remember I was playing the piano and singing for an adoration at a youth retreat that he was at, and we were just friends, and... I remember looking over and seeing him pray and how beautiful he looked, this man who's really trying to discern what God wants in his life. 
and he's praying and I'm praying with him. And isn't this what it's all about? And it was the most beautiful moment. And I, I knew in my heart that that, that was that was the person, even though we weren't dating at the time. I just knew that this was it. And I really think that was a God thing. <laughs> it was so, so beautiful. I think about it all the time. And Tyler had done his own work of discernment before they met. Tyler discerned the priesthood pretty heavily way before we dated. And he discerned that it wasn't for him, but it was kind of beautiful to hear that he did discern the priesthood very intentionally to know what God was telling him to do. And, you know, when he discerned that that wasn't his vocation, he was free fully and totally to pursue the marriage vocation, which I think is something that all men should do and make a priority to do so that they know fully what they're supposed to do. This is important because one Catholic dating fail is keeping every vocational door wide open. If a guy makes an indication to you that he is still discerning the priesthood while you're dating him, then that needs to become priority one for him, for his sake and for yours. And I think that happens a lot more than people think, especially in Catholic universities, and it just happens a lot. And there's not really a handbook, and a lot of priests, if you go to them for advice with that, will have a bunch of different answers. But I think the best thing is that if a guy has that door open and he's in a relationship with you, that door needs to either be passed through by him or closed before anything can go further. Or else it's just going to be a bunch of painful feelings. (laughs) And I know a lot of girls that that are kind of blindsided by that, and that's really rough. And I don't think the, the guys get the tools either to know, like, how to manage that discernment as well as, like their regular social life. So that's my one thing about that aspect of Catholic dating. (laughs) Does that come from personal experience? Oh, yeah. I got dumped because a guy was discerning the priesthood. But, like, I should have known that because he had made indicators throughout our time together. And, you know, I definitely should have taken that initiative to say, like, you need to do this for you. Like, but that was another time in my life when I was sort of pushing down the voice of God in the back of my head where he was saying, like, he needs to do this. Like, let him do that. And I was sort of ignoring him being selfish. But that's definitely from personal experience. Something that's unfortunate. (laughs) At CUA, we used to call that becoming a seminary widow. Emily also has this conviction because of another awkward experience. This is not really a dating fail, but this is like such a Catholic thing. There was a guy that I knew that was literally going to enter a monastery within a few months, right? And we were friends, like, blah, blah, blah. He wanted, because he was leaving soon, so he was like, let's go to this museum. I was like, so fun, awesome, so excited to do that. And it was a total friend thing. And he's literally, like, he's told people, like, I'm going into the monastery. We're in this museum. He pulls me into the corner and tries to kiss me. And I'm like, what are you doing? Who told you that this was a good idea? I am goodbye. And I've, it was horrible. Haven't spoken to him since. It was the worst thing. It was like, how did you think in your brain that this was an okay thing? You need to figure some things out. But he was, like, taken aback. He was like, what's wrong? I'm not in the monastery yet. And I'm like, are you kidding me? No. He's like, well, I better, but know, get it, Get up. it now. Yeah. It's like my last kiss before I enter the monastery. And it's like, that's not a thing. You have the wrong mindset, my friend. Okay, here's a story of a woman taking the risk after a man showed interest. 
She asked me. <laughs> My name is Drew Dillingham. I work for the Secretariat of Child and Youth Protection at the USCCB. And how old are you, Drew? I'm 28. And everyone always thinks I'm 18. And every time I go to the bar to get a beer, they check my ID. And I say, I have gray hairs. I have a wife and a child. I'm 28. Give me my beer. Drew was meeting friends at the celebration for John Paul II's canonization. And then they all bailed. So I ended up going alone, which I rarely ever do. I usually go to events with my friends. I wouldn't go solo, but I went anyway. He saw a woman in the other room and decided to introduce himself. The first time I ever went up to a girl cold to talk to her was with my wife. So that was kind of out of character. I guess it was, you know, providential. Kim was looking at part of an exhibit on the wall. They struck up a conversation and found that they had a lot in common. In the end, they both left with the other's business card. And I didn't really make up my mind because, again, I was hesitant. It was she who emailed me reaching out to set up a date, which is something that, you know, I wasn't used to. <laughs> I wonder if Kim knew that she was following Dr. Carrie Cronin's advice. I mean, honestly, it was a little emasculating for me to receive the email from her. I don't know. I'm a traditional guy. So to me, it should be the man who reaches out to the woman. But obviously... If I strictly abided by that belief, I wouldn't have the wife and child I do today. So I'm grateful <laughs> that 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 I wasn't too rigid. Yeah, it didn't stop you from going on the date. Yeah. Did she actually like explicitly say, like, do you want to get coffee? Yeah, get... yeah. She asked me. She basically asked me what I was doing the next weekend, if we could hang out. So she was very brave. Thank God. <laughs> Drew knew that there was something different about this relationship. It makes me sound not so good. Just after having had been on so many dates with other women, I could tell that she was different, and it felt different um, in my heart and in my mind and in my soul when I was around this woman compared to the others. Very soon after Kim and I met and started dating, I could tell that we both shared the same vision for what our future would look like, and we were both grounded in the belief that we are here to serve God first and foremost. And if we put God at the center of our lives, then our marriage would last and be strong and we'd be blessed um, abundantly because of the way we were living. Not in terms of money or success or accomplishments, but in terms of living a joyful life in communion with God. Drew and Kim have a sweet baby girl now, but Drew acknowledges that the path through the dating world was not a smooth one. I hope none of the women that I've dated in the past listen to this podcast. <laughs> I should just apologize to them right now before I even <laughs> go on. Time for another dating fail. This one from Teresa Swick. Yeah, so with this one guy that I dated... Um, I had definitely not done sufficient healing from my past, nor had he. And so we both were sanguine, we're both sanguine, and um, kind of like being dramatic and living life to the full. And so we dove in to our dating relationship. Um, we were seeing each other almost every day of the week. 
and being pretty physical. So Teresa and, we'll call him Steve, had a really intense relationship from day one. It's important to know that this was not in college when it's super easy for that to happen because you live and go to school in the same place. Teresa and Steve were both adults with jobs, so this kind of intensity right away is not normal. So yeah, that, I mean, that relationship really went up in flames. <laughs> it kind of, um, uh, it ended about as quickly as it started. And I was left super brokenhearted. And what I also can see in hindsight is that I was kind of placing hopes in him for him to fill the places in my heart that had not been filled by my dad. And that's a very dangerous place to be in. God bless him. But it's a really good thing we didn't marry each other. Uh, neither of us were in a good place. Neither of us. In retrospect, Teresa can see that it wasn't healthy. So that brings me another... Uh, suggestion, which is to listen to friends and family um, during a, you know, a dating experience. Uh, make sure that your your friends and family are meeting the person that you're dating and try to try to humbly listen to the advice or the things people notice. One of my sisters did, did express concern and she was totally right, but she was right and I didn't want to listen to her. And I mean, we don't usually... Um, <laughs> In that kind of situation, you can't be totally objective when you're in a relationship about that relationship. You cannot. It's impossible. So outsiders, you know, can provide that perspective. And when they do, it's because they love you. Um, So it's hard. It's definitely hard. Um, But it's advisable. (laughs) Here's a sweet dating success story with Kelly from our World Youth Day office. She and her boyfriend have been dating since freshman year of college at Fordham. I met him uh, during orientation uh, freshman year of college. So we've been dating for, I mean, we're, we're very serious now. I mean, hint, hint, we are thinking of getting married eventually, like soonish. But um, yeah, we met first week of college and just kind of, I don't know, really hit it off. Everything felt right. I feel like we complete each other, so... Did he ask you on a date? Yeah, I. It was very informal. It is weird though because I kind of yeah I kinda, I feel like maybe I had more role in it than he did. I don't know if that's a male like, female thing now. Yeah, I kind of did. There's another point for Carrie. I didn't expect to fall in love with and think of marrying my first like relationship in college. I guess, but. Personality-wise, he's like the person that the little girl in me dreamed of, you know? I don't think I had, like, that many expectations, but there are things about him that I feel very blessed to, like, have in my life. And here's the dating fail that really made me angry because I'd like to think that nice Catholic girls wouldn't do this. It's from Robert Vega. But there was one time several years ago where uh, I was with a couple of good uh, female friends from church and socializing, and you know they were equally complaining about how the men, you know, the men in our parish community didn't seem, you know, particularly, I don't know, just firm or uh, you know uh, strong or with it. They 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 just seemed kind of like wet noodles and. But they're complaining in particular about how, you know, men didn't have the courage to ask them out. So Robert's a smart guy. 
he says to himself, aha, these women are looking to date. Of course, I actually had a crush on one of these young women and proceeded not too long after that occasion to ask her out and to her face, not hiding behind a text wall or anything. And in that moment, she said yes. A few days later, when I you know, reached out to try to plan what we would actually do for the date, she said, oh, actually, I changed my mind. What? You changed your mind? You were complaining that men never ask you out, and now one is, and you can't just go to dinner with the man? What the heck? Now, she has every right to do that. Not that I necessarily felt, you know, felt good about it at the time. But it was that sort of, it was that sort of thing that I feel like creates the problem where, well, why, why would guys be asking you out if this is how, and I say you in the general sense, don't mean this particular person, but, but if that's how people in general sense are going to respond when some courage is shown, which, you know, does happen a lot out there, um, what's the incentive and the encouragement to, you know, to do what we're supposed to do? That is a great point, y'all. That kind of thing ruins it for the rest of us. Kind of like getting huffy about a man holding the door for you so he stops doing that. You're ruining it for the rest of us. Sigh. And our last success story for dating is from Greg and Jacqueline. I'm Jacqueline, wife of Greg. (laughs) And I am Greg Schleppenbach. If you listened to the second episode of the dating trio, you already heard that Greg and Jacqueline met when they were 48 and 42. And Jacqueline was feeling this way about dating. I had been through a little journey by that point also, and I had been earlier, a couple months earlier, thinking, I think I'm done with dating. I really don't think I want to do this anymore. I'm totally not good at it, apparently. And it's a lot of pain, and I just don't want to do it anymore. And my spiritual director guided me to um, instead pray a prayer. And um, the prayer was not that I had to get married because I told him firmly I really don't think I want to even date anymore I don't I really don't see the point in this it's not going anywhere and um and he said okay you can do what you want but you have to be open to the love that the Lord has for you so every morning I want you to pray Lord please open my heart to the love that you have to give to me And I loved that advice because I thought, like, that's so gentle, and I know the Father loves me, and he's not going to bring me anything that's not good. And it doesn't mean I have to go out with anybody anymore. It just means I have to be open to what the Lord has for me. So I was fine with that. I thought that sounds like a perfect prayer. Greg felt the same way. So when friends wanted to set them up, getting Greg to visit D.C. from Nebraska, he wasn't sure there was any point. I was fairly content as a as a single person. I you know I, I didn't necessarily feel this you know overwhelming longing to be married, but I did feel a longing for it for sure. But I was you know I was pretty content um, my with my work and my life and kind of really felt like in, unless I can find somebody that I feel like really would um, make a huge difference, you know, help me really be a better person, help me be the person God wanted me to be, help me to get to heaven ultimately. I wasn't compelled towards marriage. So what the heck, Greg thinks. I'll go meet this Jacqueline and we'll see. 
The first date on, on Saturday night went out to dinner and had really a, a very immediate connection. We hadn't planned anything, or I hadn't planned anything beyond that first night because yeah, you never know if we don't hit it off, you don't want to have other plans. So we didn't plan anything. I didn't. So we decided we're going to get together the next day. We met at a, a vineyard out um, in the hinterlands of, of Virginia, which, which was wonderful. Paradise Springs. Yes, yeah. I thought that was another sign. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, and that was also just a really, really enjoyable time. So it was just, it, it, we just kind of knocked it out of the park, you know, this first time. And that was it, basically. I just felt like confirmation, confirmation everywhere I turned. One of the craziest confirmations occurred that weekend. My parents are both deceased. And so my sister is really like the matriarch in our family. And it's only my sister, my brother and I. So, um, she ironically on our on the weekend of our first date we ended up having more time and and so we went out again and then I was going to see him off at the airport and she called to say I'm just flying through town around this time precisely and she's like do you want to meet at the airport and I'm like hey wait wait what time I'm like that's exactly the time that this guy I just met is flying out and so she's like okay tell me the story about this guy you know and so I explained the situation and I mean this is when I actually kind of knew from the very beginning that something was happening here because she showed up at the airport and she was supposed to have five minutes with us and then get on her flight her flight was delayed for an hour and a half and then she said to Greg what's your flight number I'll check on it and so she didn't, his flight was delayed for an hour and a half. Additionally, I wasn't supposed to be able to even be there because I had a class that night, but my class got canceled. So the three of us sat there and had this kind of like meeting, meeting, meeting. The equivalent was that he met kind of my parent on the first date and had a total interview. But none of that was ever planned by us, of course. That was planned in the heavenlies because no one of us could have ever arranged that. And given that he was so long distance, there's like no way we would have probably ever gotten her to meet him until like six months later, which for me would have been too much, you know, because I really rely on relied on her her sense of people because she and I had been through so much together. So basically, besides the fact that they lived 1,200 miles away from each other, things were great. I always sort of joke that I think God has to be so abundantly clear with me so I don't screw it up. And he made it abundantly clear with me that I was supposed to marry Jacqueline Halbig. <laughs> they talked every day on the phone or Skype. Flights were cheap. And Jacqueline's next-door neighbor let Greg stay there whenever he visited. There was a particular connection immediately with us uh, from the first date that we had and, and, and the first experience when I came out here. So that, was, so that was big. But then really just my steadiness throughout the relationship, because in previous relationships, uh, it would fluctuate up and down or I'd be, you know, you, you know, it's all that passionate first, you know, and you're in love and then you get to know them a little more and it starts to wane perhaps a bit and and then you can sort of question and whatever it just never happened i kind of in some ways was sort of waiting for that to happen and never happened it was always steady always every day growing closer and closer and and eventually falling in love but throughout i was just really very calm and at peace and steady even you know when we got we're getting close to talking about marriage i mean the thought of that in any other relationship of even considering to talk about marriage would have freaked me out and it didn't. It was very natural uh, with Jacqueline. And 
the first time we looked at rings, you know, uh, that would be something that would have maybe freaked me out a little bit, didn't freak me out, other than the price. Uh, <laughs> and they've been so happy as a married couple. It's actually a little ridiculous. I can say one thing for sure, um, the ease at which we have transitioned into married life. You know, one might expect getting married later in life, especially, you know, you've become sort of set in your ways and moving in with somebody and living in the intimate life mm-hmm. of marriage. Mm-hmm. One might think there could be some some uh, rough patches along the way, and there really have not been. Certainly nothing major at all. And I think just even just living with another person in such intimacy, it, it just, you know, um, preferences, idiosyncrasies, things like that. We certainly have them, but there's not been anything that has been difficult for us. It's been a very easy transition into married life. In my wife, I got my best friend. And I don't know that I would have expected that in a marriage necessarily. You know, I've always wanted a best friend. I remember as a little guy, you know, I, I wanted a best buddy. And I, I never really quite had one. I had a lot of friends, but I, I had that special best buddy. And I always kind of regretted that. You know, I just, in my wildest dreams, I guess, I don't think I could have imagined finding somebody like Jacqueline who is totally my best friend. And, and there is nobody on earth who I'd rather spend time with than Jacqueline. You know, no guy friend, no, no nobody else. And that's a really wonderful thing. Jacqueline shared some of what she went through as an older single woman. I was at the end of every group. You know what I mean? I was like the last one in like the first rosary group, the last one in the second rosary group, the last one of my college class, of my high school class, of whatever. I mean, I was the last one. <laughs> whatever. Who cares? And you know what I say now? I don't care. It like just didn't matter. Like I don't even think about that for a second. And I'm so glad I didn't get married earlier to anybody that was wrong for me out of desperation or out of, I mean, maybe desperation is the wrong word, but out of like being worried that I had missed the boat and like, I I better just kind of, I guess this is as good as it gets. So I better just kind of go with it, you know? Yeah. One of the things that that both of us recognize, in fact, we, we said it on the first date is that there are worse things than not being married. And being married to the wrong person is far worse than not being married. The only reason we wanted to consider getting married is marrying somebody who could elevate us, you know, mm-hmm. not just getting married to get married and, you know, yeah. because everybody else is doing it and, you know, fits the social whatever. Yeah, no, I, there, there are worse things than not being married and, and we should never settle. What they said, y'all. It just feels like, did you forget me? What about me? I've been serving you. <laughs> I thought this was just like a foregone conclusion. I serve you. You give me a great husband. You got that? I mean, like, isn't that the way it goes? I mean, <laughs> so, and so when it doesn't happen that way, it's really sad, you know, or feels sad. I was talking with some Christian friends about this recently, and we realized that we all go through these stages, but no one ever warned us about them. We always heard, when you get married, not if you get married. And even if it wasn't stated consciously, we had this idea that if we served God faithfully, our perfect spouse would just show up one day. Instead, here we all are in this messy culture, getting inappropriate text messages or being turned down because someone changed their mind about going to dinner. I want to thank my brave contributors for sharing their stories. Onward, friends! 
If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.